0: Monday morning, your betting dork, Gil Alexander, and interesting that it's his inaugural Monday show with us here at the betting dork, and maybe one of the lighter betting cards of the entire calendar year. We're proud to have him anyway, though. Marco D'Angelo. what's happening, Marco?
1: Hey, Gil. Just uh, you know, it's almost like a day off today. Four games, I think. What do we got? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Four. Four baseball. Four baseball, but we did, of course, uh, have the big game five in the NBA. Game six coming tomorrow night so we absolutely want to touch on that what about that Marco I guess you know Boston now with a three to two lead and then you you turn up and you look at the lines and not only is LA still a six and a half point favorite back in LA for game six but now if you still look at the series line even down a game with game six and seven in LA the Lakers still a slight favorite to win the series is that surprising to you
1: well, the Lakers are still, uh, you know, the Lakers, the defending champs. They're going back home. Final two games are there. Uh, you know, it comes down to a situation of what you think is going to happen in game six. Um, if the Lakers win game six, history is so, you know, heavily weighted on their side gill that, you know, they take game seven. Uh, as far as series prices go, you know, they don't have to deal with the point spreads. They just got to get the winners there. And most people expect the Lakers in a must-win situation to grab that, that game. And, and think about it this way. With it being a pick, you know, close to a pick like you said right now, if you like the Lakers in game six, but you're not real comfortable about laying six and a half with them, why not bet them for the series? Because if you do win Game Six, as I said, you're so heavily weighted on um, history that games, you know, Game Seven, you you, it's a two-game bet for you. But you would be getting the Lakers at pick 'em instead of, you know, laying if they come back and and win Game Six. The line will go back up to probably 170 or 180.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Game Seven. Of course, you would have, yeah, you'd have to have the conviction, of course, that they would win uh, game six and seven, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're a guy who likes to cap based on psychology rather than, say, a stat-based approach, let's say, that someone like, I don't know, me, might have, you know. Um, Curious about this series, though, because every single game has had such a different personality... How do you wrap your brain around it?
1: Well, the only common denominator of this entire series has been that it has been a struggle to get points. Uh, that's the only constant. yeah uh, if, if you've played the under throughout the series, uh, obviously, you know you've done well there. It, it's been a total flip-flop until last night was the first time that the same team covered two in a row. Um, I got to give kudos to Boston. Um, you know, they did what they needed to do last night. I, I mean, 2-2, game five at home, pivotal game. They they had to win last night. They came out, and me watching the game, uh, I had Boston, so I was fortunate enough, uh, you know, to cash ticket last night, um, but I'll tell you what, I never felt comfortable with my wager. Uh, even though Boston, you know, pretty much took control, um, you know, from the second quarter on, it, the Lakers just kept hanging around, hanging around, and that's the one thing that Boston uh, has had a problem with. They they don't close out quarters. Um, every game so far, it seems like that the final three minutes of each quarter has been all Lakers. They they get that they get the momentum heading into the next quarter, or they extend a lead or cut a cut a lead, and that's what kept me on the edge of my seat last night in the third quarter when, you know, Boston was just lighting it up. If it wasn't for Kobe Bryant single-handedly keeping the Lakers in that game last night, I mean, we would have had a a full-blown route last night. I mean, because Boston at one point was shooting 60%, and the Lakers were still within single digits, and that's not a place you want to be, because Boston struggled to score the whole series, and they finally were scoring and still couldn't, you know, extend that lead. So, moving forward, if I'm the Lakers... I gotta think that they still have confidence that they're not pushing a panic button. If I'm Boston, they've got to figure we have to play perfect basketball to beat this team.
0: Yeah, the pressure. The, that, that's what I. And I'm look. I'm a Boston backer. I had the uh, Celtics to win the series from the outset, and so. And, and what I've been saying to people is, even with that ticket in hand, and even having a three to two series. It's the 2-3-2 format, Marco, that has never made me feel good about this. As soon as the Celtics lost Game 1, it really, because the Finals format is that, and the fact that we know that in the back of our heads, 6 and 7 are always going to be in L.A., unlike your standard 2-2-1-1-1 the rest of the playoffs it really does put a team behind the eight ball. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like, you know, you're, you're talking about within a game. I'm even talking about series-wide. I've never quite felt comfortable with that Celtics ticket.
1: Oh, I agree with you. I never could uh, never could understand why they, you know, why they switched the format for the finals. Uh, situation, you know, like you said, you play it one way the whole playoffs, and then you switch it for the NBA finals. Supposedly, history says that when going to this format makes it a more competitive series that they, they go deeper in the series, uh, doing it this way. Uh, but I just don't, I'm not a fan of the format. I agree with you wholeheartedly. One thing, Gil, you know, is watching the games, uh, throughout the series, the one thing that I've seen and last night's the first game that I really saw Boston do this more, but they didn't do it enough. It seems like every time they got a lead, then they would go back. But I think Boston, I know their strength is their defense. I know they're, they're, all year they've, they've played the games where you, know, you, you, you get the game in the 80s and the low 90s, uh, pretty much what we're seeing in this series right now. But the matchup against the Lakers, they are more productive when they get out on the floor and run in in going transition because of the laker height their half court offense to me is a struggle because they've always got somebody in their face. they got that yeah. long reach of the Lakers, and it just seems like Boston has to work for everything in the half court where when they're doing it in transition, and I know it's not their comfort zone, mm-hmm. but their baskets have come so much easier for them in transition. I don't know why they don't do it more. Do you think it's you know a situation because it is an older team and they can't play that style for 48 minutes? But that's where they they don't. Other than the, I think it was Game Two when Ray Allen went off. The half-court game has not been the key for for Boston at all.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it probably does have a, a whole bunch to do with the fact that they're so sensitive to not, uh, you know, tiring out over the long haul over the course of not only a series but a playoffs. But I, I felt from the beginning and reason the whole basis for my wager to for the Celtics to win it all plus 160 before the series was. Because I just don't believe the Lakers have an answer for Rondo. And quite frankly, after six games, or excuse me, after five games, I still don't think they have an answer for Rondo. And I think you're right. The transition game sort of highlights that even more.
1: Absolutely. Some of the passes that he made in last night's game in transition, him and even uh, Paul Pierce had some, you know, outstanding passes. That. You know, there is no answer for that. And like I said, you know, if Kobe didn't go off in the third quarter, I mean, we seriously could have been looking at a, you know, 15, 18-point game heading to the fourth. Yeah,
0: and let me ask you about that, too, just to just to follow up on that. I mean, you're right. The third quarter was the real example of that, um, what you were talking about earlier, when, you know, Celtics led by six at the half. You get the sense that they're just absolutely dominating uh, and then you look up at the end of the quarter, and they're only up eight. So they only actually advanced the lead to uh, two points at that point. But Kobe did go off. But didn't? wasn't there some sense in your head, Marco? I know, I know we're like, oh, if it weren't for Kobe, they'd have been getting blown out. I kind of looked at that a little differently, though, too. And maybe this is just because, let me just state up front, I'm not a huge Kobe guy. But I sort of had this sense of, uh-huh, look... It's the real Kobe coming out. You know, like, he's, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he just had to be a ball hog now. He just he can't be a good teammate when things aren't going, you know, well for him. Was there a sense of that for you at all?
1: Well, with what you're saying, uh, the numbers always do support that. When Kobe scores in the 40s, the Lakers aren't as productive as when Kobe scores in the 20s and, and has a lot of assists. You know, the team is better when everybody's involved. There's no question about that. But last night, you know, the the Lakers weren't – nobody else was performing. I mean, every other game the Lakers had, like you said, Every game had been a different star. Somebody different has stepped up and been the man. I mean, clearly last night for Boston, you know, it was, you know, Rondo, you know, running the running the team in transition, and Paul Pierce just having his absolute best game of the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. I
1: mean, that's what we, you know, that's what we have been waiting for to see Paul Pierce show up. But for the Lakers, you know, in other games, you know, either it was Fisher with a big game or, you know. Bynum doing something or, you know, uh, Paul, you know, Gasol, somebody. Last night, nobody was nobody was stepping up. And if you watch the game, and the reason I like the Lake, or excuse me, like Boston last night is, you know, I try to look at the games situational-wise and how's the public looking at it. Yeah. And to me, coming off of Game 4, Boston won what I call an ugly win. They, they had to bench the starters in the fourth quarter they put the, the you know the backups in that sparked the team to a run and got them to the lead and you know in doc rivers because they were playing so well kept you know how many times in game four did you see garnett get up to go to the scorers table and you know baby davis or somebody you know knocked another one down and he pulled garnett back to the
0: bench <laughs> yep.
1: um, it, it, you know it was incredible and it served two things they got to win ugly and they also got a wake up call, and I think the starters, you know, it, you know, they're embarrassed. I mean, pride, you know. I know guys say that, uh, you know, hey, they're getting paid, whatever. But these guys are still athletes, and when you're an athlete and a competitor, your your pride, you know, takes over. And um, that was embarrassing to them. You know, they were glad that the bench saved them. But I think that sparked Boston for Game 5. And I think the public looked at it and said, Boston was lucky to win. It was an ugly win. The starters have not had an answer of the whole series other than the game that, you know, Ray Allen went off. Um, the Lakers still almost, you know, pulled that game out it'll be game five, Lakers are going to take this and head back to L.A. and wrap it up. And you saw that with the betting. The game opened at three. It moved down to two and a half early on Sunday. And by game time, it went off at two. Uh, The public, you know, was coming in with the Lakers. And, you know, I loved that. My my perception of the public was correct, that they were going to ride the Lakers, that they weren't impressed with the Boston win. And, uh, you know, we got the job done there. Um One thing that I gotta say about pride and, and it was great that they caught the sound bite do you, how many times do you think there is, Doc Rivers is gonna play that for the Celtics in in the locker room uh today and tomorrow before game six phil jackson in that last that one timeout out oh yeah we're making we're making the run and said you know yeah this team this team has blown more fourth quarter leads they don't know how to win i mean they're going to play that at nauseam uh you know and i'm surprised you know you know i it's what he had to say to his team but knowing that they you know that the the nba you know wired up and that that <laughs> that comment was going to get played. Yeah, uh, that's not a, that's not a good one.
0: That was funny when I you know I had forgotten about it until you bring it up right now, Marco. Which is um, I'm glad you did. When I heard you know when they when they played that back, I thought as the sort of you know sabermetrics baseball guy that i am i was like i was thinking to myself hmm i wonder how much phil like i wonder how many stats phil is aware of like i wonder how many times he's throwing stats in their face like that like he seemed pretty sharp to know that kind of thing that wasn't your everyday stat
1: no but uh, it is a it, it is something that uh, as a coach you know you you wanna know those kind of things, especially, you know, if you're down when you wanna pull your trump card out. Uh, I mean it's same situation as you know, i is, is a baseball manager, you know, when you're in an eighth or ninth inning and it comes up to, you know, you're doing you know, deciding on a pinch hitter and, you know, pitcher X is on the mound and, you know, you got three possible guys to pull off your bench the pinch hit you know you've got all the numbers you know the history of what every guy has done against sure, that guy Sure, so uh you know uh, that's just being you know prepared so and that's one thing you're never you know you're never going to be lacking with phil jackson's preparation
0: yeah that, i guess I that's ju- for sure i guess i just viewed him as such a any kind of guy that i didn't expect that out of him but you're absolutely right i mean the real point being that doc <laughs> doc will be playing that hopefully someone in the celtics organization i'm sure someone caught that and they'll be playing that over and over uh, for sure. So, you know, the obvious question then, Marco, is without giving away, you know, your, your full play on the game, psychologically now, if you're looking at public perception, what are you thinking on this six and a half point spread? Do you expect that to stay where it is, go up, go down? What are you thinking?
1: Well, uh, again, we've got the words, the magical words will come into play Tuesday night, must win. And the public <laughs> loves those two words. Uh, you saw what happened in um, Game Four when the line went on Boston to minus four and a half, uh, simply because Celtics were in a must-win. Down two-one, Game Four. If they lose, you know, and go down three-one, series is over. Um, but if Boston to that point showed anything that warranted the line going up. From two and a half to three to three and a half four and, and going off at four and a half no, but the public knew that they, they had to win that game and they go out and you know lay it. I mean I liked Boston that night, but I couldn't lay I couldn't lay that price. Mm-hmm. It, there, to me there was no value, and I think coming on Tuesday there's only one way that the you know the line will go, and that'll be you know up both uh, Chris and uh, the Greek, which are the two offshore sports books that I probably respect the most for, you know, opening numbers. Um, They both opened the game at six and a half. Um, It's still six and a half everywhere that I'm looking at, except the Hilton here in town, in Vegas. Hilton has it at seven. And, you know, Vegas money will be a little bit biased more towards the Lakers, simply because of, you know, our proximity to, you know, L.A., uh, I know you know every game that I've watched in a sports book throughout this series. I mean, it's you know it's not even close. The fan base every time the Lakers score a bucket, as to when Boston scores one, as far as the crowd erupting. So um, don't take too much in the fact that the Hilton has it at seven. But I I think you will see the public bet the Lakers come uh, Tuesday. My intrigue is the to- is the total. I, I mean, do you keep just betting the under in in taking the money? Um, Or do we get into a situation because now uh, I always like to talk about this and it comes down to value versus, you know, the the situation of the game. Because this is the must-win, it's a close-out game for the Lakers. I mean, they, they can be eliminated. Do you push the panic button if this game is in, you know, the fourth quarter where it's, you know, three minutes to go and you're down and you've got to go to, you know, fouling it, you know, early, uh, you know, to try to, you know, make it happen to extend the game, to extend your season. And sometimes you get that cheap cover on and over, and this one has been whittled down because of every game going under. I mean, we're sitting at 187 and a half. How often do you ever, ever see a game in L.A.? 187.5. They've got this thing down uh, from 192. I mean, we started at 192 at the beginning, right? and game you know, now we're down to 187.5, but again, it's at, you know, there's a point, there's a breaking point where you can only put the total so low, Yeah. Uh, you know, given a Laker game. Uh, and it's been crazy. We've had quarters in this series where they scored 35 points combined, and we've had you know we've had a few quarters where they've scored 55 to 60 um, those have been very few and far between but th- you have seen flashes of it That these teams are capable of doing that and again just go back to the start of the show when I said you know I think Boston for this matchup is better in transition but yet you know they don't do it for the whole game they do it in spurts.
0: So there it is. I mean, that's so. That's what we have to look forward. Game 6 tomorrow night, Tuesday night, in Los Angeles, Lakers and Celtics. The NBA could not have asked for more than this. I mean, they couldn't have asked for more after just a really poor, uh, from an entertainment standpoint, NBA playoffs up until the finals. Although it got kind of interesting, I guess, in the conference finals as the uh, series got competitive as they went on. Finally, they got the NBA finals they wanted, and boy, has it lived up to every bit of the hype for sure. Um, Marco, I, you know, I, I did mention that we got you here um, on, you know, maybe with the exception of the, b- the baseball all-star break, one of the weaker sports days of the year, one of the lighter sports cards. There are only four baseball games tonight, uh, two of which are really lopsided lines, um, and I would say justifiably so, one of which is relatively lopsided, and then really only one sort of, competitive kind of game in san diego any thoughts as you look up and down the short baseball slate of games today
1: well the one game that probably sticks out you know to me uh and it is the big lopsided game uh, the you know the 300 favorite uh st louis cardinals in seattle um you know the cardinals have not been you know scoring runs lately uh, you know, they did put up a five spot yesterday in defeat, but, um, the team's been struggling for, you know, runs on this road trip. They return home, you know, off that, uh, West coast road trip to take on Seattle, another, you know, not an offensive juggernaut by any means. Yeah. And what I like, what I like about this matchup is you've got, you know, Wainwright on, on the mound for, uh, St. Louis, and you know, he's been solid all year. He's got an ERA at home of 1.62 and five starts. He's a perfect 5-0 and o at home, um, and he's going against uh, Luke French uh, for Seattle, and you know, St. Louis has never seen this kid, so uh, advantage to pitcher first time around the league. The way uh, Wainwright's pitching and both teams are struggling for runs. Um, I would have to say that there would be some value taking the under in that game. Uh, I don't like teams coming home off of road trips. I think that they're a little sluggish, which, again, would you know bode well to the under. So everything lined up there If uh, with this small schedule. Uh, I would take a look at the St- Seattle-St. Louis game under. And Vegas, look at the number Vegas put up, 7.5.
0: Yeah, seven so, and a half. You love that. Uh, I, I knew I could count on you to find value in a game with a rookie pitcher on the road. I knew I knew I could. Find, I would count on you for that.
1: Well, it, it's a situation that you know. I, I always like you know to look at rookies and you know especially on the road because I mean, Gil, it is such a huge advantage um, for a pitcher the first time. You know, look at it this way: if it's an average, if he's got average stuff.
0: Mhm.
1: It's still going to look better the first time you see it cuz you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. You don't know how his curveball curves. You don't know really, you know, the timing on his fastball, um, you know, his changeups whatever, you know, if he's got a sinker, any of the pitches in first time you got it. If he's got really good stuff, those first few starts he's going to look like he's got great stuff and you know french is a left-hander which makes it an added advantage i mean i say it all the time you know the lefties are you know the unorthodox you know uh... you know throwing uh... in uh, you just don't see as many of them that in so when you've got a left-hander that you don't face as much to start with and then you got one that you have never seen that compounds it so uh, i think there's value there And uh you know i to be honest with you it's an automatic play for me i don't always give them all out to my clients but i will automatically uh, in my arsenal have you know a, a one unit play on every rookie pitcher in his first start just because you're always going to get tremendous Price now in today's case you're getting you know uh, yeah. an unbelievable price, but it's still it's it, it's a long-term investment. It's like a you know it's like a stock. It's like putting money away and you cash it later. If I play every rookie in in their first start, uh, I'm going to get close to 50% wins, but 50% wins is going to be more than enough to turn a huge profit because of, you're going to be taking back, choose, you know, an underdog in every almost every one of those unless your rookie pitcher is Steven Strasburg.
0: Yeah, and then plus 265 is uh, roughly where I'm looking at right now for Luke French of the Seattle Mariners. Well, nice, and I understand the play on the under too because in essence what you're saying is even with average stuff, you can count on sort of shaving a couple innings, a couple innings and a half, uh, if not three or more, off the top of the game, and that's sort of the basis for the underplay. is, is Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, well, Marco, I, I don't want to uh, force a mega show today. I did want to ask you about one thing happening at uh, pregame, which is the Summer Sizzler program, and uh, maybe uh, you know, sort of talk about that briefly for those who haven't quite caught on yet.
1: Well, the Summer Sizzler program is a, a great program. We did this last year, and it was a huge success, and we brought it back this year. Every day we pick one capper, except on Thursdays, because Thursdays we already have our uh, $1 program that's been you know highly, uh, you know, guys just love that. I mean, is there a better deal than getting a, you know, a best bet winner for a dollar? But the rest of the days, throughout the summer, you'll be able to get one capper's play for $6. And it's a different capper each day. And to get them for $6, you have to use the special coupon. And the coupon is available simply by watching the pregame daily video. Every morning I do a video. Uh, It's right on the pregame pros homepage. You watch that video, and uh, you'll see my bright, smiling face, uh, and I'm being very sarcastic there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you'll be able to uh, get the coupon off the video. You take that coupon, enter it in the shopping cart for that day's Summer Sizzler capper, and you'll be able to get that pick for just $6. And uh, today is Dan Beebe, and Dan's on a nice uh, run, 16-8, and 8. And you'll be able to pick up Dan today for just six bucks. And uh, Tuesday, I, I think we got a pretty good baseball capper lined up for Tuesday, too. Do you know who that might be, Dan? I'm,
0: I'm trying to think that that guy might be very, very sharp. Might be a very sharp very guy. Sharp.
1: I, I hear he's a huge numbers guy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that would be me. I'm very excited. I'm always be, excited. That would be you and, uh, you know, pick up your play for six bucks and you've been you've been running good uh, guys have seen what you've done all season so uh, great you know great deal from pregame and uh, it's a good way you know it's a great deal for our, you know our hardcore players that play all the time and it's also a great way for somebody that's maybe new to the site um, you know working with a smaller bankroll and trying to build it this a great way to do it so uh... you know we're always here you know the bottom line of pregame is you know Uh, Making it fun and helping you win, and that's uh, that's what we're doing.
0: My only question: How is Dan capable of going on a sixteen and eight run when he, as the commissioner of the Big Twelve, has to deal with all this madness happening right now?
1: You know what? He is one heck of a multitasker, (laughs) and and he's doing a daily show too. So amazing that. You know, amazing. But uh, I, right now, I I, I wouldn't want to be the other Dan Beebe. <laughs> no. I'll take the free game Dan Beebe. The other Dan Beebe's got his hands full. You
0: know, that's probably something we won't we won't touch on that today. But certainly a week from now. And can I count on you every Monday, Marco? Is this going to be our Do you deal? Count?
1: Count on me every Monday,
0: yep. So I think next Monday we should probably uh, really dive into some of that as well because, you know, the one thing that I think has been sort of underreported about this whole madness in college football is everybody knows it's about money, but not everyone is getting across the message of why this happened now. And I think that's sort of a key thing to talk about in all this.
1: Absolutely, you know we'll do it. I I saw a a number just to throw one thing out there that was mind-boggling to me, that um, Indiana. I I heard the quote that Indiana University, out of the Big Ten, made more got more money for. I think they got like twenty-two million dollars from their share of the Big Ten contract than Notre Dame got with you know their sole, yeah. And that really was shocking because for years, all you know, that was the big claim of why Notre Dame wanted to stay independent Right, is because they had their their own thing. But Indiana got more money from the Big Ten than Notre Dame did.
0: Well, you see, younger, younger generation, and I would say everybody sort of, I don't know, late 30s, maybe even up to 40 years old and younger, never could understand that whole Notre Dame thing because we had no idea you know, why Why network execs were still thinking that Notre Dame uh, was this marquee thing and or marquee entity. And I guess NBC still threw all that money out at them when that contract was initiated, but it still made no sense to a huge portion of the American population. And now we're kind of seeing that corroborated in dollars, you know?
1: Absolutely. But Notre Dame, you know... Obviously, the program has fallen off the last few years, talent-wise. But there's the following is—you know—Notre Dame still has a huge following, and it's—you know—it's almost like you know Howard Stern. Uh, you either love them or you hate them. Everybody's got an opinion on Notre Dame. You're either hardcore or you think they're prima donnas. There's really no no middle ground.
0: You you and I will have to have this debate next week because I I have gotten into this with other people where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I don't know that. I think that even that passion is overestimated you know what i mean like for i think there's I, I understand that back in the day that was the case but i just don't think people think about notre dame to a large degree today
1: we, we will discuss that and, yeah uh, being that uh <laughs> I, I have a sister-in-law that's a, a notre dame grad uh you know I, I can tell you the passion still burns
0: oh i know uh, on that it, side it's i'm sure on that side it's still there That's for sure Yeah. Yeah.
1: But uh, that's definitely We can do some talking on that for sure
0: Cool Marco, the GM of picks And a guru extraordinaire Won't find a sharper man than Marco D'Angelo Marco, thanks so much for being on the show
1: No problem, Gil. I always enjoyed doing your show.
0: Gil Alexander, betting dork. Like I said, probably the lightest uh, betting board of the year, or one of the lighter ones, that is, next time. We'll have more to talk about. In the meantime, enjoy what you got going today, and good luck with all your plays. Thanks so much for listening.